You found the Digging Oak Island podcast, the podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thank you guys so much for downloading and listening. If you have been listening to and enjoying our little podcast, I invite you to become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash Island to learn how you can help keep this podcast going. All right, let me get a quick plug right off the top here for the Patreon page again before we get started with the show. If you think this podcast is worth five bucks a month for you, you'd like to see it keep going strong, please consider becoming a patron of our show. You go to patreon.com slash Island and sign up. It's five bucks a month. You get exclusive access to a live chat during the U.S. broadcast of each new episode of The Curse of Oak Island. And that chat is fantastic. So much fun. Great this week. Uh, and let me send my sincere thanks to our newest patron, Susan. Uh, welcome to the family, Susan. And thank you so much for your support. Again, folks, uh, patreon.com slash Island to sign up, support the podcast. It's only five bucks a month. You can cancel any time. If you'd like to make a one-time donation to the podcast, man, that would be great. Uh, the only way I can do that is through Venmo, and I don't have a podcast Venmo set up. All I've got is my uh, musician's tip jar, so to speak. I'm a musician by trade, and that is at Dave McBride Music on Venmo. So if you want to do it that way, you're welcome to. Anyway, well, as always, I like to start off the podcast with emails Messages from you, the listeners. Now, speaking of that Patreon page and our newest patron, Susan, let me actually start with, uh, we're going to have one from her in a second, but let me actually start with one from Steve. You'll see why in just a second. Um, Writes, Dave, because you mentioned it on the podcast, some of your listeners, me, Marilee, Elizabeth, probably others, were getting Patreon errors last Tuesday night. That's why the turnout was low. We couldn't get in. Things seem okay now. And I'm sure we'll all try again this coming Tuesday. Best, Steve. Okay, Steve. Uh, now you've make me you've made me feel like a humongous jerk, and uh, deservedly so, I might add. <laughs> I should have known that this is what was going on. I mean, the turnout was so low; it was just so weird. Uh, guys, if that ever happens again, let me know. Maybe via email or something. I don't know what I can do on my end, but I can at least try uh, again, Steve. I should have known that. This chat is always full of people and great takes on stuff should have known something was up uh, when i didn't see the regular attendees like you there you know my apologies guys hopefully patreon worked this out it looks like they have because this week's was great well attended we were even getting going a couple hours before the show started we were talking back and forth um anyway now on that same sort of subject let me answer this question from marie who writes, hi, what if I don't want the app? Can I get still get all the updates and the chats on your website? Thanks. Marie, as far as I know, Patreon added a new chat element is to their app that is only available on the app. However, um, now the app is free. It's pretty easy to use and all that kind of stuff. But if you don't want it, there isn't much we can do about the chat at the moment because Patreon has been promising us that they're working on adding the chat function to the website as well. But that wait kind of continues. I'm hoping they can, they can, you know, link those two things, integrate those two things together. Uh, sorry about that, Marie. I, I don't know what we can do right now uh, other than just email me any of your thoughts uh, that you have right away. Uh, if you have them Tuesday night and try to get them in for the uh, show, um, we can discuss them right here until this new web function is website function is alive and running, which, again, they promise me they are going to do that soon. All right. Now, I mentioned there are new patron Susan. So at least I think this is the same Susan. Uh, but she writes, I am a longtime fan of Oak Island, but like some others have recently felt a great deal of angst during the broadcast. My joyous thanks to the person who put everything into context. Thinking of the show as an adult Gilligan's Island really did it for me. Now I can watch with great interest and fun. Also, as another fan said, I would like the show to morph into Laird Niven's Archaeological Hour. I would watch that for the next 10 years. Love your podcast, Susan. Susan, great email. Again, thank you so much for your support. Welcome to the family here. Uh, Listen, I get it. I get that people thought these guys might find a treasure. But I had, and and I mean this sincerely, when I started watching this show 11 years ago or whatever it is, I had absolutely zero expectations that that would happen. 
None whatsoever. Honestly, I'm being completely upfront with you. Um, as someone who's been interested in this mystery for a long, long time, long before the show, the idea that somehow this new group coming on the island would finally be the ones to find a treasure people have been looking for for well over two centuries was just very far-fetched to me. I just didn't think it was going to happen. I wanted to finally, but what I wanted was to finally see the island, right, on a on a weekly basis, watch the next chapter in this amazing story unfold before my eyes, watch the drilling, watch the digging, watch the, learn about the history, all that kind of stuff. And that's what we got. And that's what I love about the show. But I get why other people can get very frustrated. And I've talked about this a lot over the last season or two about how I think the show can improve as a product for television, more archaeology, more of a willingness to show us when things get debunked, less pretending to find something treasure related every single week and more history, really, you know, more theories, more history. Great stuff, Susan. Can't wait to hear more from you as the season goes on. Now, speaking of people feeling angst towards the show and really kind of uh, putting in context for us much of the criticism that the show has been facing over the last couple of seasons, here is a comment from our friend and patron, John, who writes, this show is incredibly juvenile as the new season is here. They go through these so-called artifacts as if they were bo- as if we were born last night. What is Jack Begley's job except to show up and goo goo every small artifact that's found one foot below ground? All of them have resorted to looking at each other with grins on their faces and sometimes saying, "Wow, John, that might be some editing, by the way." Uh, anyway, they line up in a in a tent like they're in a police lineup to find nothing but a sinkhole. Who in their right mind would bury a treasure 100 feet down and never return for it? They can't, with the most sophisticated equipment, get anywhere close. What happened to the 10-foot-wide casings? How many 8-inch holes have they dug? Maybe 100 or more. That would be a great drinking game. Every time they say, wow, take a drink, by the end of the show, you'd be smashed. John, I know you're looking for the truth. This is him talking. (laughs) I think he means me. I think he means Dave. I know you're looking for the truth. Just something to make some pocket change between gigs. Give it up. You know there's nothing there. I have to stop my donation. The show was always about lies. And now that now that they know there is dying, that that the show is dying and Mr. Phipps is the center of attention, I literally just can't do this anymore. I'm glad you got a real job. Now blow this one up. The teenagers will be upset, but not anyone that uses critical thinking will. Well, John, um, listen, my friend, uh, thank you for all your support throughout the years for listening. We're going to miss your honesty, your candor, all that kind of stuff. But no, this podcast isn't going anywhere. And I don't consider myself a teenager. I consider myself someone critical with critical thinking. I also consider myself someone who doesn't think there's going to be a treasure, probably not going to be a treasure pulled out. That has absolutely nothing to do with why I watch this show. Nothing. This is, as I say, a journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. And it's not a podcast dependent uh, uh, on, on treasure or here to shill for the curse of Oak Island, which is why your voice gets the airtime it deserves here, right? Listen, as I said, I understand the criticism. If you're here to see a treasure pulled out of a hundred foot deep hole, I hate to disappoint you guys, but the chances of that happening any given summer is, well, at least longer than one in 238, right? <laughs> as those odds keep, odds keep getting worse and worse every year. But like Laird Niven, I'm convinced something happened here that was undocumented and lost to history. And that fascinates me. So I'll continue this journey until I've come to some conclusion or at least formulated my own sort of single theory that I'm comfortable and confident in. Not sure that's ever going to happen, but again, all the best, John. You'll be missed around here. Let's go now to our friend Joe who writes, Hey, Dave. I think you're 100% right that the team has turned more towards the science and history. That's evident in the hiring of additional archaeologists and of Emma Culligan. But the writing hasn't caught up, at least not for Jack and Marty. Also, where has Gary been the last two episodes? But although I sound like a total curmudgeon, I'm still fascinated by whatever happened on Oak Island, and I have too many hours and years invested in this show to give up now. Happy New Year, Joe. Joe, thank you very much. Happy New Year to you, too, you know? And I think maybe this new year uh, has many of us reflecting on some of the time we've spent on thinking about and watching Oak Island over the years, right? Just remember, folks, many people have wasted a lot more than just time on a couch over the years 
on the Oak Island mystery. I mean, they just have, right? I mean, it's great stuff, Joe, though. I, I love the way you put this. And I, I think you might be correct that the writing hasn't caught up. And for the life of me, I can't understand why not. You know, if anyone at Prometheus took 10 minutes to go on social media and see what fans over there are thinking, and you know they do, uh, they would know in a matter of seconds that this thing you're talking about, the way this the way this narration is done, is the number one criticism of the show. The narration, the way they, they overblow simple artifacts, along with the idea of having to find something every single week. Those are the two things they'll find that are the biggest criticisms of the show. And they are the things that are turning away longtime viewers, such as the viewer we just heard from, right? And come on, let's not pretend they don't know this already, right? They they know, they've, they look at this stuff, but they have decided to kind of not take the advice of many, many a longtime fan and just continue down this path. I really thought the ox shoes things <laughs> would have broken them of this habit because uh, that turned into sort of a, a whole lot of silliness. Um, this habit of trying to say they found something every week that's a treasure of some kind. But so far, it really hasn't done that. I guess I've just gotten used to it, but honestly, I just don't care enough about it to let it bother me. You know, I care about this incredible work being done on the garden shaft and now on lot five. That's why I'm here. These guys have put more into this mystery than anyone before, maybe than everyone else before them combined. Now, I could ignore Prometheus's nonsense in order to see what I believe to be the most exhaustive, most expensive and most well-documented Oak Island search in history. I can live with some dopey nodding and poor writing choices in order to see this incredible work. Thanks, Joe. All the best. All right, let's finish up the emails with our friend David. If you recall, David is the expert who helped us out with carbon dating questions that our friend Gary Morgan had. Gary from the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates Fan Forum podcast. You're a pirate fan like me. That's the one to listen to. It is the only one to listen to, really. Uh, anyway, David has more insight for us, though on kind of a different subject. So let's get right into it. He writes, hello, Dave. As I launched my botanically oriented forensic search of the Oak Island treasure conundrum five years ago, I purposefully steered, of, uh, steered clear of the various theories swirling around the island. I did research them and the logic or emotion of which... Uh, continued to promulgate them into the lore of the story like a lava lamp bubbling up and then receding away. I did not want to, I did not want them to bias any of my research by attempting to prove a link uh, where there may not be one. Earlier this year, Scott Walter, a forensic geologist with whom I'm sure your audience has heard of, gave a presentation at the 2023 Cosmic Summit, and it is viewable on YouTube. Walter announced he and Don Ra were publishing a book in February and March of 2024. This book is most likely going to send shockwaves through your audience and other Oak Island devotees. Walter, who is now a supporter of Oak Island being involved in the early Knights Templar journeys to, the, to America, has apparently had the benefit of reviewing and perhaps decoding a series of journals once owned by Dr. Bill Jackson and supposedly given to Don Ra, his co-author. Co he says these journals were encrypted and written by Templars and continued scribing by related Freemasons tasked with securing, transporting, and then moving various caches of Templar relics and treasure further away from the reaches of powerful sovereigns and agents. He says, for the most part, he and Don Ra have deciphered the journals. From what little I have read, and more of what Walter has intimated in his presentation, there are more than 400 years of journal coverage, and they seem to have at least indirect links to most of these theories. I alluded to above uh, most of these theories that I alluded to above. So the overall historiography of this much larger and intricately complex Templar journey throughout history apparently is the genesis creating waves of beguiled searcher actions, which then set up events and eventually formed today into a multitude of Oak Island theories. My point, which jumps from your previous podcast about Captain Phipps and Lot 5, as well as other visitors, searchers really, to include Sir Francis Bacon, may show that the island's popularity is all about this leaked-out legacy from these journals. Those who knew or were told but couldn't dig, encrypted or involved themselves in other events, 
which they attempted to use to hijack for discovery of this worldly treasure. Kind of like the 1965 movie The Great Race by Blake Edwards. Walter and Ra's book, if he really has deciphered these true journals, may find tributaries which validate many of those theories, at least in part. This has two dilatorious effects in your in our favorite Tuesday viewing. Uh, David, you gotta you gotta dumb down a vocabulary, man. I'm just a podcaster. Anyway, one, the deciphering says the treasures were la- were later moved off of Oak Island, leaving the headliner to have us in an empty pit. And two, everyone who has attached themselves to any of the theories which are given a ride with the revelations in these journals will clamor for the five minutes of fame and the point of the story, the purpose of the Templar action against the powers then may never get proper placement in history. The title of this YouTube presentation is Did the Knights Templar Secretly Discover and Found the USA? And it could be found on YouTube. I'll try to put a link in that he's provided for us. I hope the journal mentions Judean date palm fiber. Best to you, David. Uh, thank you so much, David. Um, as always, uh, I love the way what you've brought to this podcast the last couple of weeks, and I can't wait as this goes on because you have such great insight in this stuff. And folks, I'll again, I'll try to post this YouTube link on the Facebook page. Have a look. It's a fascinating presentation from Mr. Walter, not necessarily focused only on Oak Island, but on other things as well. Mr. Walter himself has a pretty interesting history with Oak Island. It's kind of evolved over the years. Um, His research has always been on the possibility of a Templar voyage to America. This is something he's been trying to prove for many, many years. So it's not like he wasn't looking for evidence for this, right? Um, And now it seems that that has collided completely, at least in his theory, uh, with Oak Island. And, uh, but when in the past, those two things have almost, you know, diverged from each other, his work and Oak Island, he was not really into the idea that Oak Island was uh, a place uh, at all, um, you know, associated with the Templars. Maybe we need to get Mr. Walter on his podcast to discuss this some more after we get a look at his book. I'll tell you the first thing that bothers me is, um, and there are a few things about just what I saw in this and uh, what I, you know, and what we read. Uh, the, the first thing, and I'm not going to get too far into many of them, is you write here, transporting and moving various caches of Templar relics and treasure. Uh, and then you say, um, or before that you said, and continued scribing by related Freemasons. It was written by the Templars and continued by relating Freemasons. I have heard that idea posited in so many Oak Island theories involving the Templars and no one, not a single person has been able to come up or show me any evidence that relates the Freemasons to the Templars other than extremely circumstantial evidence. I mean, the idea that the Freemasons took over from the dying Templars and renamed themselves the Freemasons is just not right. There is no connection really between the Templars and the Freemasons that anyone could find for me. Uh, Do that. Find that connection. If you can find me that connection, then I'll start buying the idea that Freemasons or some Freemasons hold the secrets of the Templars that they've been holding on to for centuries and centuries. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, it's got to, there, there's, you can't just put that out there. Like it's fact. It's not fact that needs to be proven first in my mind. Uh, and just talking about your email here, I think this kind of thing, this, you know, how do I put this? I've never been a proponent of a Templar theory. Uh, I've always loved them. I'm interested in them. Um, I'm saying a lot more about how I feel about theories here than I normally do, but I've never been a real proponent of the Templar theory. However, I'll admit, and and talking about your email here, that I think this kind of theory that Mr. Walter is suggesting and that others are suggesting could change me a bit on this. Like, could all of these suspects, Phipps, Bacon, various European navies, have been coming to retrieve something that they heard rumors about? Um, that's the kind of theory that can make sense 
and really the only kind of theory that can make sense into this timeline that we just can't get a hold on, right? And let me just tease this again. I, I think I have an interview coming very soon that might also lend to this idea, Dave. So stay tuned. Great, great stuff, my friend. Always love to hear from you. Folks, that's all for the emails today. Don't forget, if you have any questions or comments, send them along to diggingoakisland at gmail.com. All right, folks, it is time now to discuss Season 11, Episode 9 of The Curse of Oak Island called Filling Cavities. <laughs> that reminds me, I'm due to go to the dentist. I guess I'll call for an appointment when I'm done recording here. Anyway, I'm doing this on the fly, guys. I just have my notes I took when I watched the show a couple of times. I don't want to take the time to script this show and write it all out a little bit more because, as those of you who are um, subscribed to the show... Those of you who are following the show will soon find out this has been a very busy week here at uh, Diggin' Oak Island. We have some surprise stuff coming up this week or hopefully early next week. So I, I kind of got to focus on that. But I got a few things to say about this past episode that we just saw. Uh, and we'll start off at the money pit. Now, in the money pit, uh, what we start off with is Dumas tracking the Dumas guys, the mining company, tracking and trying to deal with, basically tackling, right, this flooding, which is really from this show, from what we see here, very, very heavy, right? Heavier than I think even I may have thought. But cast your mind back because there was also last week the idea that there was this void just off the, um, the garden shaft that was filled with possibly wood, so everybody was interested about that. So Marty and Rick get suited up. They go down into the shaft to get a look at this void just to the side uh, from last week. And uh, even before we got to this, Steve on the Patreon noted a couple of pieces of that lumber in that cavity look brand new, like the Dumas workers were throwing scraps in there. Um, we ended up, Steve, kind of, and then you're right, if they show it, look at the left, uh, look to the left at those cut wooden wedges. Looks like modern lumber. Um, it, I think we find out when they pull the wood out here, Steve, that maybe it's not modern, but it certainly is. seems to be from the original garden shaft. It doesn't seem to be particularly old. Um, it, and, they, and after all of this intrigue, all of this possibility from last week, they actually just sort of cast it to the side. I was really pretty impressed with their sort of candor and all that. They just sort of... We're not gonna <laughs> we're not gonna worry about this anymore. Uh, neither Rick nor Marty think anything of this wood or anything of this void, and we just sort of move along. So the next thing we see is them really going after this flooding. Scott Barlow is down there with the Dumas guys in the uh, garden shaft, and they start pumping in this um, urethane. They're calling it, which is basically like a uh, ceiling foam to try to seal around the area or around the wall where this flooding is coming in. We don't see the result of that yet. We don't see whether or not that ends up working. Uh, but one of the things I thought was interesting, and this was later on in the show, somebody decided to call it mysterious flooding. I don't know if it was the Dumas guys calling it that, or maybe the, the narrator did. But I, every time I hear that, I think to myself, Guys, you can't possibly think this flooding is in the least bit mysterious. I mean, it has been going on for 200 years, this flooding. Of course there was going to be flooding. The weirder thing about it is not that there's flooding, but why wasn't there flooding last year? Interesting stuff. Anyway, that's it on the Money Pit, really. So let's take a quick break, come back, and we'll talk about the swamp of all places. All right, we get back to the swamp. Finally, a new area of the island to discuss here on the podcast, as it's mostly just been the Money Pit and Lot 5 over the last few weeks, uh, actually since the start of this season, right? But now we've got the swamp back, the good old swamp, and we have Rick and Marty meeting with Billy Gerhardt at the swamp. Um, it's definitely the first look at the swamp this year and it's really cool to see Billy start pumping the swamp out and getting that big generator going. 
uh, and to start to drain it out and get a look in there. Uh, next, we see a little bit while later, uh, Rick, Gary, and Alex, uh, they join Billy to dig up the road. Now, uh, this, to me, seems like it's going to be very inconvenient for getting around the island, but they're digging up the road because what they were trying to do is follow the stone path that we've known come to kn know and love over the last uh, couple of years under the road and out to the beach, if that makes sense. Um, they're trying to see if it continues underneath the road. So they start digging this road up, and they start f they start finding some things. One thing they find is a uh, what looks like a wooden dowel, um, a rather sizable one. They sort of relate it to something in the U-shaped structure that was in Smith's Cove. If, for those of you who don't remember that, um, that was clearly some sort of searcher, uh, undocumented searcher coffer dam, really, for over there. Uh, but there was wooden dowels in in it, and they're relating it to that. I, I think you're gonna have to uh, relate it a little more than that for me to think that they're the same thing. Wooden dowels were used, oh boy, on all sorts of things, certainly on ships. And this is a prime area to find stuff washed ashore from shipwrecks, no doubt about that. Uh, later on, right, they're digging up this this part of the road and Billy Gerhardt's making a spoils pile and Gary's jumping on the pile and he pulls out a possible piece of a chain, a possible, which he says is older than 1840. Uh, Gary then pulls out another iron hook. I love the way he pronounces hook. He takes the H completely out of it. So we've got a chain and let, I forgot to mention the chain that he found had a hook, what looked like a hook at the end of it. And then he pulls out this iron hook here. Uh, so he's got two separate pieces. Interesting stuff. Again, along with the dowel, these are the kind of things we would expect to find uh, along the shore uh, like this after storms and shipwrecks and all that kind of stuff. But cool nonetheless. So they bring Steve Guptel down to see if these rocks that they're finding right at the top of, the, of where they're digging here would in fact be the beginning of the stone road. Steve admits he'd have to see a little bit more of it, but from the measurements he's taking, the GPS measurements and the elevations and all that, um, you know, he thinks that it's probably they're onto something here. This is it. And then there's some discussion about how the road sort of flares out. There's a lot of talk about how this could be a, um, I think Rick called it a turnaround or something like that, a place for the the uh, the oxen to come and turn around and go back and pick up more stuff. Interesting idea. Uh, cool to see the flare there, and as it's dried out, we really get to see the solidity, you know, the 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 the, the real depth and and elaborate quality of this stone road. I mean, this was obviously put there. This isn't some sort of glacier mo glacial movement. We can definitely see that. Now. That's it for the swamp, but at the end, we see a um, a preview. At the end of the show, we see a preview for next week. Now, I don't normally discuss these previews, but in that preview, we hear Carmen Legg talk about how this could be a chain or is a chain used to hoist a chest. This prompted Claude to write this, and I just want to read this part out to you guys because I love this take. He writes, okay, Dave. So I have a gripe with the show I'd like to air and see who agrees. Why is it that everything they take to Carmen somehow fits the narrative of the show? At the end of this week's show, we see them taking the chain they found to Carmen and then Carmen saying that this would have been used to lower or hoist a chest. Why that assumption? There are many heavy articles that could that the heavy many heavy articles that could have used something like that to pull it or hoist it. For instance, we have many stone structures all over the island. These structures would not have been built by carrying one stone from location to another location one by one. No, they would have filled carts and that would be really heavy. They would have attached them to oxen and moved them to a construction site, etc. using, you guessed it, chains. There are so many instances like this where Carmen feeds the narrative of the show and I just can't listen to him anymore. This is sad because I do think the knowledge could be helpful, but the narrative dictates what he says. Rant over Claude. Claude, I think that's true for just about everything that, that the reason why I put it here is because we're talking about the chains, we're talking about the dowel before that, right? That can be true with almost everything Gary Drayton pulls up. 
They take the time to do that. They bring it to Carmen, and he says these things he says. All I would caution is that I know that these scenes are chopped to bits. So let's maybe leave a little sliver of doubt that Carmen is not doing that on purpose. Am I making sense? That maybe, just maybe, he comes up with a few other ideas as well. It's just that the the editors never want us to see those. All right, let's finish up with Lot 5. We've got a couple of different angles to talk about with Lot 5. So I'm going to start off with just the lot itself. Then we'll end the show with a war room session about essentially about Lot 5. So we start off with Alex Lagina going to see the archaeologists at Lot 5 at the circular feature. Um, they find the guys are, the, the archaeologists, all women by the way, are and Alex, are pulling, are, are digging and coming up with some things. And they find this little metal ring, which um, Jamie Kuba says looks like very small jewelry. It just looked like a metal ring to me. I couldn't tell whether it was designed or had jewelry to it. It looked a little bit like a you know a plain metal ring uh, that you would wear on your finger, but I'm sure there's other possibilities. Um, Jamie then finds another piece of metal, which at first glance does look like a long nail or a spike of some kind, but she thinks it's more decorative and not a nail. Something would have been attached to maybe a door or that kind of thing, a decorative piece. Hard to tell from this. Uh, I'm not sure if we're ever going to get a... Um, a better look at either of these things through Emma Culligan to see if there's any sort of decorative designs going on in any of them, because uh, I really would kind of need to see that in order to be convinced of what this is she's saying, but I'll take her word for it. Alex then asks a weird question of the archaeologists. He says, I'll just throw it out there. He kind of puts out, puts to it, you know, and he says, uh, couldn't this be, uh, since it's so big, Rather than just somebody living here, couldn't have this been a privateer? Uh, I guess he's concluding that because they think that whatever structure was built here, it was then purposely hidden. So wouldn't a privateer have done that? I don't know why a pirate wouldn't do that either, but a privateer. The archaeologists all kind of nod their heads and say yes and, and kind of, yeah, sure, that makes sense. These are the kind of things that uh, you... You guys, you know, register a lot of complaints. I try not to register as many complaints. Excuse me, I've been fighting a cold for a while. Um, but this is one of the things that bugs me because there's no reason to think that right now. No reason whatsoever. The only reason why we're talking about privateers is because William Phipps was a privateer. But there's no actual evidence. I really want evidence for these things rather than just speculation. There are so many well-researched theories out there, so many people who have looked into these things. It'd be so much better than just throwing out ideas and then making that making archaeologists look like they agree with you. Anyway, neither here nor there. Later on, we get back to lot five, and we see Jack Begley there now, and he's with Jamie and some of the others that were there as well. And um, what they're doing is they're actually using the magnetometer readings that Jamie took a couple of weeks back, and it was at least two weeks ago, of this circular area, and they're marking out what they think is sort of the boundaries of whatever structure was there, and they're all really, even Jamie, really surprised at how big it is. I think she said something like 30 or 40 feet, bigger than any of them thought. Jamie says that it suggests that when the light, and she's right about this, that, that when the island was surveyed back in 1762, this structure had to have been missed, right? If somebody's walking along doing the surveying, they would have seen a structure this large. So even by 1762, this one had to have been, as they're saying, buried over. We thought it might have just been lost over time and fallen apart from a storm. And But it seems to me that if it were built in the 1700s or built in even the late 1600s, that somebody going through these woods to do a survey would have seen something to indicate this, yet there is no record of that. So I understand what she's talking about, and I kind of understand why they're starting to theorize that whatever this was, was destroyed and then sort of hidden, right? Uh, 
Anyway, they find a piece of stone later on with a line on each side of it. And they start talking about how they could, something about the Phipps, the artifacts from the Phipps um, uh, birth site from where he was from. I, I don't know what the connection is between a stone that has, uh, you know, um, a line on each side to the Phipps stuff. I, I, I just I just could not see what that was there just didn't make any sense to me. Uh, but anyway, that is really all of the work on Lot 5, but there's a lot more about Lot 5 to discuss in this podcast and from this episode as we head into the war room and meet with the 32nd degree Freemason. I don't know what that means, but I'm saying it with the same sort of vigor and and exaggeration that they do on the show. Uh, Scott Clark, this is the guy who originally came and talked about the Phipps theory and uh, what it could mean. He's now here to discuss Phipps's buddy, this guy, Andrew Belcher. They explain it all really well here. No reason to go through it all again. And Belcher's relationship to somebody named Morris, who was the guy who divided Oak Island into four acres, uh, four acre lots back in 1750. Now, Clark has found an old map of the um of this island of the whole area right of Mahone Bay and as he goes through this he starts pointing out some weird things in the map and drawing a lot of conclusions from those weird things in the map like there's an a that instead of having a straight line has squiggly lines and there's actually a few of those and then there's an a that has a straight line i'm talking about in between the you know what i'm talking about it's <laughs> to make the triangle right um and one of them has this squiggly line right where it says Mahome Bay. I think it's where it was Mahome and not the bay. And then he starts theorizing that this squiggly A represents a Masonic compass, a symbol of the Masonic compass, uh, you know, sort of, um, I guess, sort of hinting at the Masonic compass symbol. And then there's some connection with the Holy Grail that they come up with here. Not really sure if that means anything. He also then finds that there are other A's on the map with the squiggly line in it, which to me <laughs> means the one with the straight line is probably the unusual one. But be that as it may, the squiggly lines, if you make a little arch out of them and run the arch, it goes through uh, Oak Island and all this kind of stuff. Um, makes a circle, and to him, he thinks that this means that Morris knew of the treasure. Now, this is the guy who divided the island into four-acre lots. And the idea here is that the that Mr. Morris divided the island into four-acre lots because he knew there was a treasure there. And for the life of me, I can't suss that one out at all. I put that question onto the Patreon, and I just want to read you two answers that I got. One from John, one from Eric, because I think they both sum this up and my feelings of this perfectly. John writes, yeah, let's sell lots on our treasure island to randos. <laughs> I would have named it Smallpox or Desolation Island and then just move on or maybe leave it off the map entirely. Eric writes, let's sell off access to the island so we can't recover anything. It's either gone already at the subdividing or it was to remain hidden for much longer. You see where I'm going? Again, this is one of those things, like the privateer, we're just throwing it out there and discussing it, but we have no real reason to connect these pieces of evidence. Sure, Mr. Morris knew Mr. Belcher, who knew Mr. Phipps. It's kind of starting to sound like Kevin Bacon, but you, you get where I'm going here, right? And Mr. Morris divided the island. He was a surveyor who did these kind of things. But you can't tell me any reason why that would have anything to do with treasure on Oak Island. Nothing at all. You have nobody's even tried to give me some sort of relationship between dividing the island and four into four acre lots and what that would have to do 
with helping to hide a treasure. Until someone does that for me, I'm going to start thinking about ignoring this entire idea of Mr. Morris and Mr. Belcher until I see something that makes much more sense than just this speculation. Now, guys, don't go anywhere. We're not done yet. It's not time for the outro. Going to take a short break. Going to come back with a little special surprise for you. Joining me now are the authors of uh, The Jerusalem Files, Discover the Astonishing Secret Journey of the Menorah. It's Christopher Morford and Corian Mall. You're going to hear a lot more from these guys in just a couple of days, listeners, as we're going to talk about that book a lot in the next podcast you're going to get in your feed. But since I had him here, I figured we'd talk a little Curse of Oak Island just for a second to see what you guys, just to kind of get your take on what you think we're seeing here. Um, there's been a lot of talk about somebody named William Phipps. There's been a lot of talk about um, the garden shaft and voids and offset chambers and all these kind of things. I mean, you guys have dealt into the history of Oak Island. You've been watching. You've been part of the show. Uh, I think people would like to know what you think of the search up to this point and how and how you um, how you're thinking of it when you're seeing it unfolded here. I, I do follow the show, of course. It's my favorite show. <laughs> That's what I say. But, Me um, too. Uh, yeah, so far the search has been uh, exciting and heartbreaking. Um, the flooding of that garden shaft is uh, a real letdown. I, I, I bet everybody over there is really, <laughs> that hit them hard, I'm sure. Mm. Um, but the discoveries, on the other hand, uh, the circular uh, feature that is, you know, have gone beyond that the circle now, of course. Uh, that's very exciting. Um, I'm sure that's going to yield quite a bit more. Um, and I hope they get that garden shaft sealed up and, uh, and, you know, extend the way along that tunnel that they've been looking at. Um, I, uh, you know, there's only so much we, we can say. We've, I know, we've I know. Been, we visited the island uh, fairly recently, and um, I think there's very exciting things to come. Um, I think they're on the right track. You know, the guys—they all—they're all in on this. You know, the, the fellowship, their heart is totally into this, and uh, it's a real treasure hunt. And that's that's what they're concerned about. You know, there there is the TV show, of course, and and you know, there's but there's a real treasure hunt going on those guys are real and they're working hard and they want the answers as much as we all do so i just wanted to throw that in as well corian yeah from what i've seen i think the the most momentous thing i think is this uh, this piece of wood they uh they got in the man from the money pit area that appears to uh, be from before what we consider a searcher area so that could be you know the first original piece of wood from depositor era uh, that we have. Uh, I think that's, that's, you know, that's, that's monumental. Um, I think, you know, the, uh, uh, the fact that we now have, you know, the muon images can, can actually look underground, you know, uh, crappy as it may look, uh, but you can see, you know, the, the cavities, you, you know, we know better where to, where, where to look. Um, that you know that that's a luxury we we didn't have before. It's not it's, you know, it's not our deal, but uh, uh, it certainly gives you something uh, uh, to dig for, which is cool. Uh, and and I'm really 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 looking forward uh, to the rest of the season. Um, we and I'm allowed to say this: we made some we made some historic discoveries in Europe nice. uh, uh, this season, um, uh, and. I mean historic in in uh, in, in both senses uh, uh, of the word, and you know these were things unknown even to the people that literally live right on top of it, and you know we discovered this while researching uh, for the show, um, and uh, it's 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 going to be awesome. So um, yeah, there's going to be. Uh, a lot of hardship uh, uh, this year. Uh, I think you've uh, you, you've seen a bit of it uh, already, mm -hmm. but it will be happy end. 
Uh, you you guys uh, again. You're you can't disclose things that you already know, and we we get all that. And I don't want to I don't want to bother you too much about that. But I guess uh, the last thing I'd want to ask you about uh, when it comes to the show is your theorists. You have this incredible book coming out, which I've had the pleasure of reading, uh, which is coming out at the end of February, I think. Right? Do I have that right? The end of February. Thirteen. Okay. Uh, so we got yep. we got that coming out in just a matter of weeks. Um, when you watch the show and you see things get dated and you see things, does your brain immediately put it into context of what it could mean for your theory? Like, does it get you excited for like, oh, they yeah, that makes sense. That that's a date that we're that we've talked about, or that's a, that makes sense. Do you think about it that way when you're watching? <laughs> oh, I get Corian scared first. Yeah. Oh geez, I'm so scared that that it, that it screws up our timeline and that it, <laughs> so, so it, it, that it that it like invalidates the book even before it's in the shops. But that has that hasn't happened yet. So every I didn't think of it like see, that. I didn't uh, <laughs> confirm the story. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't that think would it, be a bit of a bummer. I didn't think of it like that. Like you could be sitting there, you know, waiting <laughs> in the dates, but not like excited. Instead, terrified about what it might. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. That, that, but that is the feeling I have. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think Corian has recorded every coffee break that Louis the Ninth ever took and placed it in the timeline. Uh, he's so meticulous and great about that. So, um, yeah, we don't want to mess with his timeline. The, 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 there is a timeline <laughs> in the back of the book uh, that, guys, you're going to spend you're going to spend days highlighting and reading. I can't tell you how many times I have a highlighter mark. On these on this timeline here, and then made me go look into other things. It's 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 incredible. Uh, last thing about the show, um, uh, how do how do I say this so you can? Rick hinted towards another trip to Europe. I guess that's what you're referring to there, Corian. Is that we are going to be doing that again? Yes. Great, awesome stuff. And how was your t- Chris? I, I've talked about this with Corian a bunch, but. How was your time on the island? I mean, you were you've been there, and you've said said you're there again recently. Um, what, what what do you think of the, what do you think it's what is it like to have to be on a TV show and discuss these things? And the other thing I'll ask you is, whenever I I call them crackpot sessions, but they call them war room sessions. Whenever the whenever somebody's in there to discuss a theory, what I tell everyone when they start to judge this theory is that, guys, you saw maybe 5% of what these people actually said. Um, I wonder if that's difficult for you. The book, you know, it is difficult. And he put together this two or three hour presentation and and you see three to five minutes of it. And um, you so want to tell the world the rest of the story. Um, It's not their fault. They've got their time constrictions um but yeah that one uh, that's hard to do i'm a pretty introverted person being on camera is difficult for me i love visiting the island and exploring yeah that part is says the best part for me and uh, you know we've we've uh had a long enough relationship with the team now that we're you know they, they give us not total free reign but you know here's a golf cart go have fun you know so uh that's wonderful um and that's my favorite thing war rooms uh are not so much my favorite thing <laughs> i'd rather just here's you know here's my report go read it and uh, i'm gonna go back in the woods so <laughs> you know? so uh, being on tv can be difficult for me um Corian's a master presenter he's so he's really uh polished at it and uh admire him for that and uh, he really gets our theories across really well um but uh yeah i can't wait to go back you know and uh see what's been happening lately yeah corian you and i are like you know entertainers and on stage i mean we don't have any we don't have a problem with with that kind of stuff but I, I make I make sound. I pr- I produce sound according to my girlfriend. Yeah, <laughs> not 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 sure if that's if, if that's entertaining or not. <laughs> Listen, guys, thanks so much. Thank you, Dave. Thanks a lot, Dave. Guys, don't forget Corian Mall. And uh, 
Chris Morford will be on the podcast later on in this week is my hope. My goal here is to get them on um, probably sometime over this weekend. So keep subscribed to that feed. It's a fascinating uh, conversation and really part one of conversations that I know we're going to have after their book comes out again. It is Discover the Astonishing Journey of the Menorah. The book is called The Jerusalem Files. It's going to be out in February. You can get it anywhere now. I think you can pre-order it already. So uh, you're going to love this book, guys, if, especially if you're one who um, who wants to believe in the Templar theory and wants a Templar theory that actually is starting to make sense. These guys have done that. That's going to do it, folks, for this episode of the Diggin' Oak Island podcast. Don't forget... You can really help out the show by becoming a patron. If you think the show is worth five bucks a month to you, then head over to patreon.com slash island to learn more. And if you prefer, you can also make a one-time donation to the podcast via Venmo. Just use the username at Dave McBride Music. Also, if you would like to help out the podcast in another way, then you could do so by giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your shows. Big thanks to everyone who's done that. Thank you so much. But we could use some new ones. So hop on there and leave some uh, reviews if you can. You can also follow the show on Facebook. Just put Diggin Oak at Diggin Oak Island into your search bar. And if you have any questions or comments that you would like to send directly to me, the best way to do that is via email, diggingoakisland at gmail.com. Just keep in mind, if you send me an email or even a direct message on social media, which I do not recommend. The email is the best way. It's always in front of me when I'm doing the writing for the show. But just remember, if you do so, I may answer it here on the podcast. So for whatever reason, you don't want the message read to everyone, make a note of that. All right, guys, what a show. It's crown time. Until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you for listening to Digging Oak Island.